Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, Mr. Walker. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with Omar David Kennedy. Hello, Owen. And Kieran Murphy. Hello there, fellas. We're in the middle of Robbie Keane's homecoming week, the Republic of Ireland captain. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. Robbie Keane's homecoming week. The latest in a bi-monthly series stretching back to... <laughs> <laughs> to 1997. Yeah, but he's bringing his pals with him from the LA Galaxy this time, Ken. I don't know if you saw the uh, the photographs uh, from... Well, there's, 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 been quite, there's been a few. He's showing his teammates a typical good time for the American tourists in Dublin. Yeah. Taking them, it seems, straight from the airport to the Guinness Storehouse. Okay. Did they go to the store? Oh, yeah. Well, this tweet from Janino. I assume he was talking about the Guinness Storehouse. Uh, judging by the amount of uh, pints of Guinness in the hands of his teammates, I would say so. At the original Guinness Ireland factory, established in, ni- in 1759. <laughs> learned how to make the beer and tasted good too. <laughs> <laughs> Reports of Omar Gonzalez bestriding Temple Bar wearing a, a tweed cap and a Kiss Me I'm Irish t-shirt mm. remain unconfirmed, Murph. Just, just a big gang of footballers walking around Trinity saying uh, how beautiful it is. Really? And also, uh, you know, in general... Putting the emphasis on the first syllable of uh, Dublin place names, like Malahide, <laughs> Rathmines, <laughs> and Dibble Bar. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's presumably what, what they've been up to. World Cup, they do that, don't they? The World yeah. Cup. I mean, I, I, I don't know what, what that is. You know, I, I, it's just... Uh, you met up with Robbie. It's King. like they're from a different country, Ken. I did. I saw him uh, yesterday on a Crumlin Children's Hospital. He wasn't surrounded by unidentified fans who you later found out were his LA Galaxy team. No, it was just it was just Robbie Keane, surrounded by journalists uh, milling around him. He's the kind of queen bee. We were the worker drones uh, <laughs> carrying away his eggs, I suppose, eggs of wisdom, eggs of insight uh, to our respective uh, uh, 
Chambers in the media hive. It's <laughs> 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 a well thought out analogy. Totally. It's finished now. Uh, yeah, yeah, forget that. Um, Did he remember you from your last shot in LA? He asked me how my jet lag was, Owen. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He remembered you well. Where it appears that we're now quite good friends. How does Robbie <laughs> do it with, with journalists? Some players and managers are on first name terms. I mean, uh, he, he's, he's seen you. He, you must have interviewed him or been in press conference with him. Over a hundred times at this point. Yeah, he's seen my head a lot of times. Who um, are you, big fella? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I, we're on that sort of. Oh, how are you doing there, friendo? <laughs> oh yeah. I, I don't or, know if it's, Robbie wouldn't be a horseman. I don't how know if we're on, if we're on oh. actual name terms. I mean, I know his name. I'm not sure if it's reciprocal. <laughs> That's always important. Well, we'll uh, we'll hear that chat a little bit later on. We'll also talk about Arrigo Sacchi's comments that Italy is losing its national pride, as shown, he thinks, by the amount of black players playing football in the country and uh, we'll get onto that we'll get into that as part of Ken Erdy's report on sport yeah that's been a, a kind of consistent theme of running through the football this week is uh, racial tension in Europe first of all uh, the first eruption of this was actually in Paris on Tuesday night where Chelsea went to play Paris Saint-Germain now we know that Jose Mourinho's had a few issues with the Chelsea fans this season already He's, uh, he keeps unfavorably comparing them to Liverpool fans, saying Anfield, you know, was a much better player. You know, his, what's with his love affair with the Liverpool fans? He keeps just using it to slight his uh, slight his own supporters. But I don't know what his reaction is going to be on seeing the video um, that was posted on the Guardian of the Chelsea supporters on the Metro refusing to allow a black French man on the train. Um, Suleiman S is the name uh, that Le Parisien gives to the man. Uh, who was seen in this video trying to get on the train and being pushed back in in the chest, you know, roughly enough by these Chelsea fans. There's no way they're going to let him on. And he's kind of looking at them going, what, what is going on here? Like he, he seems, he's just astonished at first. And he tries to get back on and they push him out again. And then he, you know, so he's kind of shouting at them, they're shouting at him. Um, and as the, and they don't let him on. There's quite a few of them, obviously. I mean, this is obviously a group behavior. Um, and then uh, the person who's filming the uh, video sort of walks up uh, and gets films them all like straight through the door. You know, you can see all their faces. You know, one of them, they've all, you know, kind of been identified now, uh, or most of them identified. One of them, for instance, is there in a picture with Nigel Farage, I think. Uh, do we say Farage or Farage? Oh, Farage. Farage, yeah, Farage, yeah. Farage. English, it's obviously an English surname. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can trace it back to uh, William the Great, don't worry. Yeah. Um, you know, in a, in a picture with him, uh, it's various others. You know, I'm sure they'll... Well, I don't know what their, what their punishment is going to be. The guy himself, I mean, Le Parisien, the um, French newspaper, had an interview with him, and, I mean, he says... Uh, uh, he hadn't told his family about the incident. What would I have said to my children? That daddy was pushed off the metro because he was black? That's pointless. So he's a 33-year-old father of three. He says, I wanted to get in the carriage, but a group of English supporters blocked me and pushed me back. I tried to force a gap and get on. In the scrum, I lost my phone. They were saying things to me in English, but I didn't understand what they were saying. I don't speak a word of English. I understand. They were, I understood they were Chelsea fans. I made the link with the PSG match that night. I also understood very well they were targeting me because of the colour of my skin. You know, I live at racism. I wasn't really surprised at what happened to me, even if it was the first time uh, in the metro. Uh, he said, no passenger came to my defence, but in any case, what would they have done? Then the train moved on. I waited for the next one. I got home. I didn't mention the incident to anyone, neither my wife nor my children. What would I have said to my children? So, yeah, uh, I mean, it's just unbelievably grim. Yeah, it's, it's grim, and the, the, the video is disturbing for a few reasons. It's just this... 
there's so much going on here. There's the, the racism as confirmed by their chance. Yeah, we're uh, racist, we're racist, we're racist, and that's the way we like it. It's really like it. horrible. This, ter- <laughs> this terribly executed chant, as well as everything else. But that, that's neither here nor there. The, this, the, the, the clear racism involved here. The bullying element to it, the mob mentality, but the, the psychological bullying, because in a way it wasn't physical. It was physical in the sense they pushed him off, but... They didn't. They didn't try to hurt him, but the implication was there. We can and will hurt you if you, know, you know, try and get on here. So this asserting of, of of dominance against one pretty much defenseless guy from a mob of these supporters. I was about to say so called supporters, but then I did see some uh, fairly intelligent tweets over the last couple of days. I can't remember exactly who, who where I saw this, but. The idea of using so-called implies that they're not supporters, but they, they are. are. These are Chelsea fans going yeah. to the game. They're not going specifically to not let a black man onto the train. That's just that's just a byproduct of the of their nature. Um, but the way the way football sometimes disowns these supporters is kind of ridiculous. In that these are the guys who are going to your matches. Not that every Chelsea fan is like this, of course. But there are uh, you can be both a Chelsea supporter and a racist. Mm. And in this case, uh, these guys they are showing both. both. They were, you know, the Venn diagram on one side, Chelsea supporters, and the other racists uh, in the middle. These guys are in the middle. They're at the intersection of those two circles. So what hap- what does happen to them? Well, um, I mean, I just well, there's no place in the game for a start. We all know that. <laughs> there's a guy who was on the train who the press association spoke to, Michel McCoy is his name. He's apparently 17 years old. He says, I'm not in the video, but I'm on the carriage. We got on the train. And at the station where the man was trying to get on, we stopped for a couple of minutes. He tried to get on. A few people were pushing him off because there wasn't much space in the carriage. You couldn't move. People were saying it was because he was black. It's not true at all. I personally think it's because he was a PSG fan. He's not a PSG fan. He's gone on from work. Obviously, they didn't want him anywhere with us. That guy in the video tried to force himself on, so they pushed him off. Um, So they say, well, what about the fact that the fans then start chanting, we're racist, and that's the way we like it? He said, that song was about John Terry. The only words I know is, he's a racist, he's a racist, and I don't know the rest. So John Terry, obviously, uh, the Lion of Stamford Bridge, um, this is what makes it so awkward for Chelsea to have have any kind of... Uh, you know, stern institutional response to to this uh, episode. I mean, I'm sure they can, but you know, it's, it's you can see it's a, a double standard here. Uh, if they say if they if they identify and ban the supporters, yeah, uh, and then on the other hand, give John Terry the new 12 month contract that he's talking about uh, looking for, uh, you can see that there's a there's a problem. Um, there's a kind of a dissonance there. Uh, I mean, which obviously John Terry's a lot more valuable to Chelsea Football Club than these supporters. You know, what are they good for? A few season tickets, whereas John Terry. Where does it end, though? If they if they say if they if they have a conversation amongst themselves, the top brass Chelsea, and say, well, you know, we can't really. This would be bad PR. It would be seen as a, as us refusing to condemn our you know, our captain and uh, taking the easy option by banning some supporters from the ground. Mm. right? If they, if they decide that that's the route they're going in, what happens if they decide that that's, if it's going to cause more damage to them than, ju- than just leaving it go, what else do they, do they let go? You know, surely at some stage they have to... Oh, no, they, they will. I mean, yeah. they, they obviously will. Um, it's just that it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Aren't it? I mean, you know, like if the, the guy, for instance, that 17-year-old <clears throat> fan, obviously his, his statements are fairly idiotic, you know, as everyone can... Can see for themselves, but he is making the claim that they were coincidentally singing this song about John Terry, just you know, as they were pushing a black guy, black off, the guy off the train. 
it's possible. I mean, it's 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 like it's conceivable, but that doesn't make it any better. You know, there's uh, what it what it means is that there's two separate racist incidents yeah. happening instead of just one. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's two separate ones. While one group of fans is chorusing uh, about their racist champion, the other uh, bunch of them is pushing back up the train. So that it it it's in no way uh, uh, something which which improves the situation. You've got some more. Paris to London transport news. Uh, oh, that's um, uh, Daniel Taylor. Yeah, that's a clunky link to Ken to the Daniel Taylor article. Seems to have been on the twelve fifty-five from Paris to uh, Paris to London. This is a plane, oh, not a train, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it, it contained both Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane um, and Lady Kathy Ferguson traveling with Alex Ferguson apparently to the football. Although I suppose it was a game in Paris. You know, it's not just any. It's not like it was Preston. You know, she's going. She accompanied him to. <laughs> Shall it be hold to thy dear or Paris? <laughs> so they went along to Paris, and there's Roy Keane. Now remember Roy Keane he, when he was asked about what would you do if you saw Ferguson now? He said, "I'd probably have a go at him." Honestly, I think I'd probably go up and have a go. Now he didn't do that. Thankfully. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe he thought, in the circumstances, two hundred odd people standing in a queue. The presence of Lady Cathy. Uh, the presence, and you, Lady Cathy. How, how did you? Le- if it wasn't for you, Lady yeah. Cathy. How did you let him get embroiled in that Rocket Gibraltar dispute? Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, Rocket Gibraltar would arrive. I'm going to sit it. here married to a man who's uh, jeopardising our club over a racehorse. <laughs> um, well, uh, the, uh, I mean, you know, okay. So, what happened when they got on the same plane? The answer: nothing. They didn't talk. Uh, Ferguson apparently looked with narrowed eyes over the top of his paper, and then, you know, put the paper up in front of his uh, in front of his face. Keen apparently, but Ferguson obviously was moved up to to get on the plane first. You know, they said, "Oh, it's Alex Ferguson. We got to, He's got to go. We don't want him standing there with the hip and all that. We got to get him on the <laughs> on the plane." Whereas Roy Keane, with his own uh, dubious hip, yeah, waited until the very last. He was the last man on the plane. Well, he's like me. That's something that I do as well. Queuing, like what the hell? Are you Why would you stand in the queue? I mean, if it's if it's a signed seating, then you know where you're sitting. And if it's not a signed seating, well, well there's a seat there. Overhead baggage. Well, yeah, overhead baggage. I was just going to say, but I I usually travel very light. Yeah. My bag my bag is pretty same, small. Same here. I just put it under the seat in front of me. So yeah, yeah. But the, look, that's uh, Kane was last on God, first Ken, off. It'll be like yeah. Uh, oh, who were the two United players who both had this superstition about going on? La- Paul Ince was one. And someone else, it'll, me and you will literally be like that the next time we get a last flight Last on the field. Yeah, la- like you'd last out of the tunnel. You also want to give yourself options. I'm just thinking of other reasons why you wouldn't want to be last on the flight. Okay, say it's a signed seating, that's fine. What if you're assigned to sit beside a crying baby? If you give yourself, that. You don't mind sitting beside a crying baby on a flight? No, I can completely zone, zone it out. That's incredible. Yeah. That's also it. can't be true. No, it's true. I can totally. <laughs> what about what about okay? What about forget the baby? What about uh, I mean the the baby? You know the situation with the crying baby. You know you just got to feel sorry for the baby. Sorry for the parents. The parents are probably embarrassed. The last thing I want is to heap more embarrassment on the poor parents by by um, making it seem as though I'm I'm unhappy about the fact that their baby is doing my head in. So in one of the most difficult, awkward social settings there is, Ken, you mm. show more. Equanimity than you have ever than I've ever seen you show. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the rest of the kind, I mean, is plain yeah. Ken the anti Ken? Are Look, you I'm, everything you do on the plane is everything you don't do? Ken helps out the else. stewards and stewardesses. Well, is everybody okay here for a while? No, no, no. He takes part not. in the, the <laughs> showing people where the fire exit is. Absolutely on the not. Plane. No. My my rule my rule is to is to avoid all. It's as though nobody else exists. 
So the baby, the crying baby doesn't exist. I can't hear it. Uh, I'm not going to speak to anyone. I'm not going to look at anyone. And I don't want anyone to speak to or look at me. I'm just going to sit here, read my book, and get off this plane when, when we've landed. That's all. I don't want to sit there chatting. If, if I'm on a plane, I don't want to sit chatting to the person next to me. Why, why do people do that? That does sound more like the Ken that I know. Well, I've actually I've heard, of, I've heard of a couple who got married a few years back then hmm. uh, who met precisely through that... Uh, through that situation, that the two of them didn't know. It's two strangers in a flight started talking, and now they're happily married. Yeah. Well, they were happily married last. I haven't been in contact with these people for a few years. I'm, I'm going to assume they're still happily married. They got <laughs> married anyway. There was a there was a big result from talking to a stranger on a plane. Can't say fair enough. But no, back to this kids thing. Right, forget yeah. about babies. What about this? Is, I, I, this can be worse than than kids. Yeah. What about well, than babies? I should say, say a, a three or maybe four or five year old behind you having a bit of a tantrum yeah repeatedly kicking your the back of your chair don't mind Come. I don't, I don't why mind. are you why are you turning the studio into a house of life <laughs> I don't I really I, honestly I don't, I don't, Murph, don't Murph, can you spend the rest of this podcast sitting behind Ken and just kicking his well, chair I mind if he did it but I mean you're talking about whoa, like whoa, a, a four year old you're talking about he obviously wouldn't be behaving that way if he knew any better this, or she you know it could be a she Mm-hmm. I mean, if they if they knew that that wasn't the way to behave, they wouldn't be doing it. Ah, uh, most well, maybe four. Most four year olds would have a vague idea that they shouldn't be kicking the chair. Anyway, Ken, I just, I just, I, I look forward to the next time I'm on a flight with you because I want to see this theory, all of these theories okay. tested. Where were we? Oh yeah, Ferguson. Well, the flights. The okay. Well, I remember we talked before about Seth Blatter's travel advice. <clears throat> um, he doesn't eat uh, on the plane. I think all the food on the plane has been pre cooked. <laughs> uh, gives him. Uh, it makes him gassy. Mm. He doesn't like that, and he flies around a lot. So you should listen. But look, he's he's been uh, he's had something to say uh, recently. This is about Arrigo Sacchi, the legendary Italian uh, football coach, um, the man who was behind the Milan team, which is regarded by many to this day as the best club team of all time. And unfortunately, and this is something we're going to be talking about in a bit more depth with Terry Daly in a few minutes. Uh, has come out with some pretty embarrassing comments uh, a couple of days ago uh, while talking to journalists at an awards ceremony. Essentially, Saki uh, decided to come out with the point that uh, I'm certainly not racist, and my history as a coach proves that, starting from my card. But uh, looking at the Viareggio tournament, I feel like saying there are too many black players, even in the youth teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Viareggio tournament being a youth tournament, um, talked about how uh, Italy has no dignity, has no pride. You know, if this is if this is going to be the case, you know, how is there so many black players out there in these youth tournaments? What's uh, what is what's that all about? You know, uh, nobody really kind of said anything. We're going to, um, as I said, we you know I don't want to take away. You mean nobody present? No, nobody, nobody at the time said. Oh, really? Um, you know, tell us more. Those about are that. rather what, controversial what views. What, what are you talking what, about? Why do you mean? Um, he obviously then says. Uh, you know, later, oh, I've been misjudged. I'm not a, I'm not a racist. Uh, I only want to underline we're losing our national pride and identity. Um, Seth Blatter uh, <clears throat> intercedes. He says, uh, he says that um, uh, pride and dignity is not a question of skin color. Shocked by Agosaki's uh, comments. Stop it. Um, so that's Seth taking a stand on that issue. As I said, we'll talk about Saki in a bit more detail. He's obviously been defended by uh, some people, including um, Carlo Ancelotti and uh, Fabio Capello. Uh, Capello's point is he said there was a need for more Italian players. He wasn't referring to the colour of their skin. It's not racism, it's that we need more Italian players in the youth systems. An Italian identity. He did refer to the colour of their skin, though. He did, yeah. yeah. That's the problem. 
<laughs> he did. I mean, if he hadn't referred to the colour of anyone's skin, for, first of all, it would have been hard to understand what point he was making. There's too many players in of a certain type and are, you know, what are you, what are you on about? Uh, also, players. when somebody else says what he meant was, well, when actually Saki has had two opportunities to explain what he meant, he said what he said originally, then he clarified, and the clarification sounded much like the original yeah. sentiment. Yeah, and it wasn't as though, I mean, I watched the video of him, of him saying this, um, and it wasn't as though he was sort of, um, you know, he was quite, it was quite deliberate in what he was saying. You know, it was kind of considered, it wasn't like... Uh, Oh, you know, a throwaway remark. You know, you kind of said it and then stood there, and then they the then they asked him a totally relevant answer to a question or something like that. You know yeah, it was it wasn't something that just slipped out. You know, he he was quite deliberate in what he's saying. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that as I said. But Bladder um, intervening, Bladder one of Bladder's rivals, Luis Figo, has launched his campaign for the FIFA presidency today, and. Well, I don't know to be honest about Figo. Uh, his platform doesn't look that great to me. Um, first of all, he says, I believe we should consider proposals to expand the World Cup to a 40 or even a 48-team tournament. A 48-team World Cup, right? The World <laughs> Cup is, has got 36 teams in it now and is already... No, hang on, 32. 32, sorry. 32 teams. So, talking about expanding it by another 50%. I mean, this is crazy. No, I mean, it's we're talking about like... I, for one, see an upside, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what, that I assume is what Figo's banking on. It's like a share issue, you know, where you sort of dilute the stock and like get people to buy in. Hopefully he's, you know, he's thinking, well, maybe national associations around the world will go, well, that increases our chances of getting to the World Cup, even if the World Cup itself, uh, the quality of it is diluted and... You know, it, it's it's becoming less and less of a of an exclusive and a kind of a special competition. Um, the more, the merrier. Yeah, uh, he's saying he's saying this anyway, and he's also saying um, uh, that FIFA. He says FIFA does not need its one and a half billion dollar financial reserves. If elected, I will immediately return one billion dollars to FIFA's member associations. That's their money, not FIFA's money," uh, said. Figo sending a lot like a kind of Republican presidential candidate. <laughs> now, I mean, I'm not saying FIFA do need to have a one and a half billion dollars. Sounds like a lot to be honest. Mm. To be sitting on in terms of cash. That's reserves. a hell of a rainy day that they're planning for there. <laughs> but you know, to to just to just hand it out to the uh, to the member associations as a what appears what looks a lot like a kind of a classic electoral bribe. I'm not sure. Um, you know, it seems a bit. Is that really your plan? Just pay everyone to vote for you? Is that how? Is that, is that your plan? Uh, he also has talked about things like sin binning, getting rid of that thing where you get sent off and give away a penalty and get suspended at the same for for the one incident, you know. And uh, going back to the old offside, the oh. new offside is just nuts. I mean, we all saw it. Wayne Rooney against Preston the other night. Was it offside? Was it not? You know, water cooler the next day. Could people talk about anything else? Was Rooney... Well, apart from the dive. By the way, the dive... Yeah. We This was on Monday, so we haven't talked about it since. The BBC panel discussing mm. Wayne Rooney, it was like they were killing truth. Truth itself died in that BBC panel. Kevin Kilban was shaken yeah. by what was happening around him. I was saying this in the office, that I, I literally think if someone had made a kind of cogent argument, on the one hand, maybe there was no contact made, but... You know, you could make an argument that maybe Rooney was diving to avoid contact with the goalkeeper. Therefore, that's the reason why 
the penalty could have been given. Basically, Kevin Kilban goes, for me, that's a dive. And everyone else says, Roy Hodgson and Phil Neville, the other two pundits, that no. was not a dive. No. That, that was, was not a dive. And Kilban is kind of like, looking around maybe, like, maybe uh, is this really happening? Is this... I mean, we can all see it. We can all see. He, he it, right? We can but, all see. He, he goes down deliberately. Hmm. We can all see that. I mean, the, the, there is a kind of in-between argument that says, well, look, the goalkeeper had effectively given away a penalty hmm. by charging towards Rudy like that. But, like, he did... He didn't actually bring Rooney down. Rooney went down under his own steam. And you can see his right foot trails his right foot to try mm. and make contact with the goalkeeper and actually misses, doesn't, doesn't touch the goalkeeper. Now, if, if it's a penalty anyway, based on what the goalkeeper is doing, why is Rooney trying to get that little touch off the goalkeeper? Mm. He knows that that little touch is required to legitimise this as a penalty mm. and not a dive. I mean, it is... You, you do actually have to... If you want to say you've been brought down by someone, you do actually have to be brought down by them. Yeah. Do you not think? This is, uh, but this is Simon's hobby horse lately. That too many pundits are too closely connected with the game to be fully honest in their assessment. I would say Roy Hodgson, that is certainly true of, and in fairness to Hodgson, he's not holding himself up as a regular pundit. Yeah, he was, he was there Hodgson to help with the draw. Like, oh, you know, I, I kind of wish this hadn't happened, but I'm going to do what I have to do, which is to say, no... Wayne Rooney did not. Gary play. Neville is the obvious one. Phil Neville should be freer to freer than Gary Neville to um, to be fully honest and frank in his views uh, because he's not actually coaching these people. To the, to, but uh, he doesn't seem to. Uh, well, yeah, in this case, anyway, he seems. It was to, an extremely strange situation. I think Kevin Gilban may have thought that he was in the middle of a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, uh, I wonder. I decided if maybe it's just maybe. You know, I'm obviously having some sort of episode here, some sort of psychotic episode. Maybe I, I'll, I'll not push this argument because everyone else in the studio seems convinced of the thing that. Well, I, I think Gary Lineker was. I, think, I don't think Gary Lineker was convinced by Hodgson's argument. No, Gary Nevels, Lineker just eventually Lineker just had to laugh it off and sniggered, move on. Yeah, sniggered and moved on. But I honestly think if that situation had continued for a while, Kilban would have ended up agreeing that. <laughs> he, he would have. It just would have happened that way. You know, that's the way. But uh, just in, in terms of Figo, his platform is so um, unconvincing. I almost wonder if he's like. Um, I was reading this quite interesting book uh, called "Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible," which is all about Russia under Vladimir Putin and the <laughs> and the the way in which their entire political system is a sort of puppet show. Um, which is kind of centrally organized. So it looks like a, a democracy with, you know, independent parties. But in fact, all the parties are, are kind of centrally contracted, you could say. They're all from sort of central casting. And on the one hand, you've got, like, right-wing maniacs. Uh, and on, on the other side, you've got, you know, saying, you know, we need to burn our enemies in the reign of nuclear fire. And then on the other side, you've got uh, left-wing maniacs who, who say, we need to go back to the days of communism queuing around the block for, you know, black bread. And then in the middle, you've got... Mr. Reasonable President Vladimir Putin, right? And everyone is looking at it going, well, I mean, it looks as though he's probably the best guy to vote for, right? And that's like kind of the, it's, it, it's, that's deliberately what the system is intended to create this, this impression of, well, he's, he's <laughs> the only guy. And when you see what uh, Figo is proposing, you do actually kind of wonder if Seth Blatter has <laughs> had a word um, in terms of, yeah, you know, what if you could maybe just say, let's, expand the World Cup to 700 teams. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But in terms of the mention of Russia, the uh, apparently FIGO, or not FIGO, FIFA, are going to confirm in the next couple of weeks that the Qatar World Cup in 2022, 2022 is going to go ahead. And that's been kind of the focus of all the 
um, questions over the last few years. While Russia 2018 has very much slipped under the radar in terms of, well, should there really be a World Cup happening in Russia? I mean... No, no, see, Ken, you've got this all wrong because it's good pre-World Cup policy to get a hugely damaging land war in your country out of the way three years before the World Cup starts. I mean, Mm. if, if you have a land war happening in your country... Well, to be Three fair, years to be fair it's happening in the neighbouring country. Well, although a bit of the neighbouring country that they maybe some of them are claiming is their let's, country. Let's just see where the land boundary <laughs> is when the actual World Cup starts. Yeah. But I mean, if if you're gonna do that, get it out of the way. It's like say when you're playing a a round of golf in the afternoon and yeah. it's raining in the morning. It's like this is good. This is good. They're, it's raining now, so it definitely won't be raining when. <laughs> my golf ride starts. That's basically what Russia are doing now. It's it's, it's just good policy. Ken. It's just it's a little bit strange. I mean, uh, Paul Hayward uh, wrote a piece about this in the Daily Telegraph uh, the other day, and the Daily Telegraph, which itself has been the focus of some interesting articles recently. Um, uh, their former political commentator, yeah, Peter right. had some interesting things to say. Yeah, everybody should everybody should probably check that one out. But um, nothing to do with Paul Hayward, of course. Um, he, well, he, I mean, Peter Oban makes the point, look, there's a lot of damn fine people working for the Daily Telegraph, just I've got a bone to pick with one or two of them. This, most of them are exempt from my criticism. Paul Hayward, I'm sure, is in that vast, decent majority of uh, Daily Telegraph. He says, uh, he points out, uh, an even bigger flashing red light is that America has just passed the Ukraine Freedom Support Act in Congress, which permits the supply of military equipment to the government in Kiev. So essentially, they're selling arms to the, to the side that's fighting against Russia, who are supposedly going to be hosting the World Cup in three years. The United States, to reiterate, is going to be selling arms to a country which is at war with Russia, although Russia denies there's a war, but <laughs> clearly there is one. So if that's not a kind of a, a bigger problem than the fact that Qatar may have greased a few palms in the in the course of getting yeah. the World Cup, but it could be a little bit sweaty there. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, we seem to have lost. But they're not going to. They're not going to take it away from Russia at this stage, are they? It's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, it, you know, the stadiums are like are kind of in progress. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's obviously in trains. There hasn't been any talk of it being changed. But is everybody going to turn up? Might be a more pertinent question. All right, is everybody going to be playing in this World Cup, or is, there, is it going to be again one of those situations where? Um, you you end up with uh, big boycotts. We haven't uh, had much of a chat about the Champions League yet. No. Because the, the first legs of the quarterfinal... It's, it's, this the, this new structure I don't particularly like. New, which new structure? Oh, over the last couple of years, the way it's so stretched out. So you've got... Oh, you mean the the games, like two games each night? As yeah, them all. yeah, it used to be that they'd all be in the, the same week. Yeah. Um, and then they're stretched over two weeks, which means you're waiting a long time from the start of the first leg of the first game to the end of the second leg of that one. Yeah, I mean, now you're, you're guaranteed a game every night. Often every, every not Tuesday great night, But previously you were guaranteed like at least one good game on a given night. Mistake. Yeah. But um, yeah, there weren't too many... I mean, the PSG-Chelsea wasn't bad. The second half of it... Uh, Paris kind of came game, into yeah. it, and you know it was quite exciting for a while, but they couldn't manage to to get the victory. Um, Xabi Alonso was sent off again. Um, he was sent off obviously for Real Madrid in the semi final, uh, and that's why he missed the final last uh, season. Again sent off. Karlheinz Rummenigge uh, criticised the referee in that Bayern the Shakhtar game. The referee was a disaster, which of course is being played in was being played in Lviv for. Reasons related to the last thing we were talking about. Shakhtar can't play in Donetsk anymore because there's a war on. Um, 
which Russia says isn't happening. Neil Lennon had a massive goal. The referee over that game, in, in part fueled by personal the referee experience. In oh, the the Bayern referee. Yeah, yeah, he had refereed a Celtic Juve game in which Celtic felt they were the the large part of the problem was that. Uh, Chiellini and some of the other Juve players were in full Italian defender mode at corner kicks. Yeah, I remember that. Assaulting yeah. lads, throwing them in the ground, and no penalties good, being awarded. Good old Licksteiner. Uh, he's a, he's a good man to wrestle an opponent on a corner. I mean, I want to see him and Martin Skirtle up against each other someday. <laughs> Hopefully, it will happen one day. But uh, Alonso just uh, Rubinick is saying this is a disgrace. It was actually his third serious yellow card of the night. I thought that he goes he, well. The, the rather the last the yellow card he sent off for is, is an obvious kind of a tactical foul. Oh, there's a guy getting away. Better hack him down. So it's clearly a yellow card. But he should have been off by then before. He just is crashing into people from behind. He's just a little bit slow now to be tackling people. And he throws himself in now. Maybe he can't. He thinks, oh, I need to make a couple of extra inches to get there. And then throws himself straight through the back of the guy. Uh, not great. Um, but yeah, um, I'm, hopefully next week. Well, we've City Barcelona, so we'll hopefully they'll give us something. That's the end of Ken Hardy's Report on Sport. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Terry Daly is a freelance journalist based in Rome and is ready to chat to us, Terry, about the con- controversy surrounding Arrigo Saki. We've outlined some of what he had to say, but just maybe bring us back to the original comments and uh, you can maybe explain to us the context in which he made them. Yeah, I mean, I've actually transcribed what he said because um, what appeared in the British and Anglophone press was basically taken from what was reported in the Italian press. And if you know anything about what happens in the Italian press, they frequently modify and uh, sometimes flat out make up quotes. Um, so I managed to find the video of him talking, which was at, um, an award ceremony for managers called the Trofeo Maestrelli, which is named after an old Lazio manager. Um, and he was basically sort of um, grabbed by a group of journalists while he was there. He was, he was there to accept a career achievement award uh, from this organisation. Um, at some point, someone uh, pops up with a question about um, youth development, and um, I've got his quote in front of me now, which is kind of astonishing. Um, he says, uh, "Today, watching the Viareggio tournament, which is the Viareggio Cup, the sort of international youth tournament with teams from all around Italy and a few European teams come along to play." Um, he goes on to say, uh, I'm not racist. Um, I had Rijkaard. Um, but seeing so many players of colour and seeing so many foreigners is an insult to Italian football. Um, after which he goes on to talk about how when he was at Real Madrid, um, the fans and the press always criticised them despite having all the best players in the world because they didn't have players from Spanish youth set-ups. And he you know, goes on to complain, why does this not happen in Italy? Why... Blah, blah, blah. After, after that, he, he then goes on to say, we're a people, um, and I won't say what I really think, um, that has no dignity as well as not having any pride in its country. Um, I don't really think you could 
be a bit any clearer than that. No, there was a couple of interesting things here because. Well, first of all, what did the journalists then ask him? Did they say, "Oh, that's quite interesting"? Tell us more. Tell, talk to us more about your opinions on this subject, or did they then ask a completely different question about? This, this is the really weird thing: is that the, the, those comments kind of went, they just went past. No one seemed to, you know, make any sort of a big deal about them. I mean, no one, no one at the time asked any follow-up questions. The next question from the from the from the journalist there was actually about um, Claudio Lotito who's a Lazio chairman, and he's been in a, in a little uh, stromash of his own because he got caught um, basically moaning about small clubs, the small clubs that could be promoted to Syria and the effect that would have on his ability to negotiate TV rights deals in uh, subsequent seasons. And they just completely left the, the race comments alone. He didn't say anything else about it in the whole interview. Mm. They just completely left it. It didn't actually become an issue until it got picked up by um, a couple of the nationals who would have presumably also seen the same video. And then they followed it up and, and, and tried to get him to sort of clarify um, what he was saying. But the problem is, is that with the questions that they asked him, no one actually um, asked him why he conflated race with nationality. Yeah. And then no one asked him what he meant by too many. Yeah, I mean, this is it. This is it. When, he, when he says it's an insult to Italian football... What does he mean? How does that, how is it an insult to Italian football? I mean, what he's actually talking about here is black uh, young Italian black players playing um, up to up to a point. I mean, this is one of the things that the Gazette, the Gazette actually did um, along in in the paper. Yes, in their paper, yes, they did. They um, they carried out um, a sort of brief analysis of the number of um, what they call who they called black Africans in Italian youth team setups, which there was. Um, an astonishingly small number. There was out of. Uh, let me just get the, the the stats here, which I've actually got in front of me. Um, there's 54 out of 1,154 registered players, which is 4.67 percent of the total. I mean, some of these are, will be European-born, like the Inter have have seven uh, what they who what they call Black African players, of which six were actually born in Africa and, and one was born in Belgium. A defender called Senna uh, Miangu. Um, he's not specifically referring to black Italians as such. He's just kind of lumping in black people with foreigners. So that would include, obviously, any black um, youth, black Italian youth team players, like, for instance, players that have come to in recent years, like Angelo Bonga, Mario Bellatelli, um, Stefano Caco, who plays for Sampdoria. Um, but because he's not been asked to sort of pick apart what he, what he meant by that, um, people have been kind of liberal in, in sort of interpreting what he says. But, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's made it quite clear that he finds the idea of uh, uh, a certain number of black players in the Italian youth team system as an insult. I mean, yeah. that's, that's what he says. Uh, yeah, and even when he clarified, he, he subsequently tried to clarify his remarks. He said, I've been misinterpreted. Do you think I'm really racist? And, again, these are the quotes that are, uh, yeah. that are being translated to English, so how accurate they are, you might be able to tell us. But he says, all I said was I saw a game featuring a team who fielded four coloured players. My history yeah. speaks for itself. I've always coached teams with great players from every colour, and I've brought in a lot. I only wanted to underline that we are losing our national pride and identity. So it sounds like he, he didn't really clarify anything, bar his thought that in his own head he's not a racist. I mean, this is this is the issue. It, it, the actual quote that I've got of his um, regarding this is he was talking about the final of, of this Vierge tournament, which was between Inter Milan and Hellas Verona. Now, Inter Milan, like I said, have seven sort of, let's just say, black players in their youth team, one of which is European, six of which are African. Um, 
they're the, they've got by, they've got the highest number of, of, of black African players in their youth setup, which is presumably why he saw them on the pitch and went, "Wow, that's a lot." Um, but um, he's not really talking about that as such. He lumped them in. He says, "I saw four or five black and foreign players." Was his, his exact quote. And after that, he then goes on to the, and he, this is in a leader um, that he wrote for the Gazette, which was actually in uh, yesterday's paper. He goes on to say that there's no discrimination here. I just wanted to raise the alarm on transfers that help transfer sort of situations between youth team setups that help neither Italians or foreign players. Uh, they come here from poor countries um, with a dream, but it's unlikely that their futures in, in football in Italy will be particularly rosy, which is, again, another issue, because then he's sliding into the concept that, that um, the players that go into the youth setups in Italy frequently don't make the first team. But that's a, a problem for all players in Italy, of any nationality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, I mean, w- I mean, I did um, a couple of years ago. I actually wrote an article on youth development um, for Reuters, um, um, and I spoke to the, the players' union here, and they'd actually carried out a study. It was in 2012. They'd actually carried out a study on on what happens to uh, youth team players after they finish. After, the, after they get to a certain age, because effectively what happens is, I mean, there was, in 2012, there was, 12, there was, 11, there was 1,215 players um, playing in Syria and Syria B youth sites in the 2009-2010 uh, season, of which, in, by 2012, only 5% were playing in Syria yeah. and 11% were playing in Syria B. Um, 58% of those don't play football anymore. Um, but the, and the same percentage of the players that do, so 58% of the players who are still playing um, professional football, are either on loan, were either on loan, sorry, or part owned by other clubs. Yeah, so um, ba- basically, no, nobody's career prospects are particularly no. rosy. If you're if you're and in football as a young player, your career prospects are not rosy. That's just the way it is. Well, it's not, it's, the thing is, it's not relevant to his initial comments. I mean, yeah. he tacked it on at the end. I mean, the thing is, is that 67% of these players are on loan to third and fourth division clubs. And the only reason they're on loan, to, on loan to these clubs is because those clubs get uh, financial um, assistance from the football, football federation and the clubs that they that loan the players to them. So they, but, and that, but that only goes up until um, the players are 22 years of age. Once after they're, after they're 22, these players get dumped, and then a new round of youngsters come in, so the club can keep keep themselves afloat with the contributions from the football federation and the clubs that are loaning the players. That's a, an entirely separate issue to the concept of we've got too many black players in our youth teams. Do you think that Saki, when he said these things, was speaking for a lot of people in Italian football? Do you get the sense that, that those attitudes are, are widely shared? I mean, has, has, he been, has he become the sort of subject of criticism? I imagine uh, someone in English football who said these things would find themselves being criticised quite a lot over the following I mean, few hours. It's a funny one, this. He has been sort of slammed by a lot of people. I mean, a lot of normal people, let's say, so stuff on social media, fans in general, sort of, sort of holding their heads in their hands again. I mean, this isn't the first time. This is this second racism storm in the space of less than a year involving an important figure in Italian football. I mean, I don't know if you remember in, in the summer, there was a guy called Carlo Tavecchio who, who called African players banana eaters. And then he was weeks later voted at a canter won his election campaign to be president of the Italian FA. Yeah. So this kind of stuff is um, I don't know how to explain it. It just doesn't seem to carry the same cultural weight as it would 
in the UK or in Ireland or in the United States. It, it's not a career ender. Just um, one, one. I mean, at the, in, at the same time, he has been criticised. I mean, the players' union guy, the players' union head of the players' union, is a guy called Damiano Tomasi, come out and said, you know, criticised him for saying how reductive what he says and how uh, criticised him for um, conflating nationality with skin colour and sort of dragging us back into the dark ages. And uh, Mina Raiola, who's the, the famous agent, who's also Balotelli's agent, uh, sort of, you know, he came out and said, look, he was ashamed to be of the same nationality as Saki. But at the same time, uh, Carlo Ancelotti then come, you know, <laughs> last night offered his support by using... Well, tell us uh, what Ancelotti said, because this is, this is actually one of the most amazing parts of this whole story. He says, multi nemici, molto honore. It translates literally as many enemies march honour, and it's a quote that's frequently attributed to Mussolini from a speech of his. Well, it is and definitely it's, like a, a, a black shirt slogan. No, like it's, a, a, it's a fascist slogan. It's a fascist slogan. But the, what you've got to remember is that a lot of the things that um, the fascists used in that period, they lifted heavily from the and, and this sort of ancient Roman period in, in, in a bid to sort of construct this, this uh, identity as, of the Italian as a warrior race. Mm. Um, so some of these things do can get mixed up, but at the same time, if you were to put this in a similar situation in, say, Germany, any um, slogan that had been picked up by the Nazis has, has fallen into redundancy. You know the only people who are going to use those slogans are Nazis. Whereas in, in Italy, unfortunately, the, the, Italy's never really dealt with this kind of fascist past, so these kind of things sort of linger. I mean, he's come out and, and said otherwise subsequently, that um, Ancelotti, that it, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't quoting Mussolini, he was quoting Julius Caesar. So, I mean, you're in that kind of grey area, again, where you don't really know what his intentions are. Yep. I mean, I would be incredibly surprised if Angelotti was a paid-up black shirt, frankly, <laughs> and I don't think he was, that was what he was intending, but it only adds to the sort of idea that Italy hasn't really dealt with a lot of societal issues regarding race and politics, and in particular fascism. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Listen, Terry Daly in Rome, thanks so much. Thank you. Carlo Ancelotti, Ken, uh, stepping on a bit of a bomb there, but it sounds like things. It's just amazing that he would say that. I mean, it's uh, it's just staggering. I mean, this is like a, a slogan which, no doubt, is uh, no doubt the the can be traced to Julius Caesar. I mean, as Terry's saying, uh, Mussolini, you know, kind of rehabilitated a lot. I mean, fascism itself. That the word fascism is taken from the fascist, which is the Roman symbol of authority, like a bundle of sticks, you know, which are carried around in front of a, a big shot, you know, a magistrate of some kind. So that's, it, it's obvious that uh, a certain elements of the packaging of fascism were lifted directly from the Roman Empire in order to associate fascism with the Roman Empire in people's minds. But as, uh, you know, as Terry made the point, these things have kind of been contaminated by their more recent usage. And if you want to defend, uh, I mean, Ancelotti used to play for Saki, obviously, with, with Milan, no doubt, has some personal respect for him. Uh, they won a lot of stuff together. Um, if you want to defend him against charges that he's a racist, don't use a, a fascist slogan. I mean, even if it comes close to meaning what you want to say, you know, many enemies, much honor. You know, it's it's obvious what it means. Um, but don't just don't use that particular slogan. The fact that it was, you know, once used by Julius Caesar is less important than the fact that it was more recently used by the Black Well, did Ancelotti not plead ignorance in that? Is that what we're, we're saying? Come on. 
Come on, how ignorant is Carlo Ancelotti? I don't think he's an ignorant man. I would say not. I'd say I mean, quite, quite a bright man. You I know, Jurgen Klopp appears on the sideline in in the in Westfalenstadion with a with a swastika on his baseball cap, a yellow swastika, and he says, "Oh, I didn't realize. I mean, I thought this is an old Hindu symbol. This is, you know, this is the I was referring to the to the Hindu symbol, not the more recent. You know, come on, you're not going to. Okay, maybe it's, maybe it doesn't. You know, if he was referring back to something German, say he was to. to um, they were to have a Votan themed, you know, Borussia Dortmund press day. They're not going to, you know, you could say, "Oh, we're just celebrating the Nordic gods." What's the problem with that? You're not, you're not going to do that. You know, it's it's got it has more recent associations, which, you know, in the in the context, it's an amazing franchise to have said. Let's get from that to Robbie Keane, Republic of Ireland captain, is in Dublin this week. They've got the game against Shamrock Rovers on Saturday night, the LA Galaxy, and you met him yesterday. Can you might need to explain? Uh, you've mentioned you were at Crumlin Children's Hospital. They were doing uh, some good charity work there. You might need to explain the prop, the physical prop to this interview because it's referred to at the start and mightn't make sense to people. Uh, an, an enormous uh, comedy uh, blank check. <laughs> well, written out to Crumlin's Children's Hospital. I mean, one of, you know, one of those sort of checks about the size of a door. Robbie Keane just had that there on the, on the table. So I guess that was the natural place to start. So, Robbie, is this just a blank check that you've brought for the, the Crumlin Children's Hospital? Yeah, yeah. So we can write what we want, don't we? <laughs> Galaxy are paying for so it doesn't matter. Yeah, now it's uh, <coughs> obviously I'm. I'm um, you know, it's for me. It's you know from from this from this area, and well, my family's from this area, and I played here, uh, and I've been here myself as a as a kid with broken arm and uh, split my head open a couple of times. So I've been here. And after coming here now and, and visiting the kids, and you know, seeing you know these kids need help, you know, and we're very fortunate in, in what we do uh, as an athlete. That you know, we've got a voice. You know, some of these kids, you know, they have a voice, but they're not heard. So we can award a voice for them and try and raise as much money as we can. Uh, the money we raise will certainly help, but uh, we we strive to. To even continue and to, to raise even a lot more money, so thankfully the the Galaxy AEG is you know uh, given fifty thousand. I asked them for fifty thousand if they could, and they were very 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 helpful, and, and, and I'm delighted with that that they that they've they've managed to you know give me this money to as I said to, to help this hospital. I remember when I was over there in, in December, you said that uh, you know there were some big players maybe on the way that you've been even speaking to to players or talking about players coming in. It seemed as though yeah, you, you obviously had heard maybe a thing or two about maybe someone coming in already in December. Well, I've certainly um, kept up to date on, on what. Uh, Do you and CVG still have the same agent? Yeah. So you were reasonably well informed of what was happening there. <laughs> As I said, if, I wouldn't say I was. Yeah, listen, when you when you AG and then and a lot of the players are now in England, so of course that you know they, they would they would ask me. Uh, wouldn't say advice because you don't really need advice in Stevie because you know what he's what he, what he's about already. But it's still he's still asking. And uh, as I said, it's I was fairly happy to uh, you know to to recommend certain players. Uh, that would be, I think, would be great for for the galaxy. And you know, Stevie certainly comes into that. Uh, comes into that. So he's going to be a huge asset to us, and uh, we're excited to have him. Uh, I know it's not till July, but uh, I know he's looking forward to after speaking to him, and uh, he's really looking forward to the challenge. Uh, 
different for him, of course, because he's been brought up in, in Liverpool his whole life and he's never left the place, so it's going to be different for him, but it's, it's something that he can certainly enjoy. He must have consulted with you about what to expect over there. I mean, how do you sell the club to, to yeah, well, someone it was, like him? It was, it was the same. It was the same when I went to 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 the Galaxy that when, when Bex was there. So, of course, a player, when, when you go to any team when over the years, you, you always know someone who plays for, for, for a team. So, you'd ring them up and ask them, you know, Certain things, and you know, with Stevie, it was, it was the same with schools for the kids and little other things that people don't really think about. You know, it's when you have kids, you, that's something that you need you need to think about. So the football side of it, you've been watching a game, he knows what it's about. Uh, of course, he asks us about the training ground, and which, which is natural thing to ask. But more it was me was where to live and stuff like that, and, and uh, schools for the kids. For, that was the that was a main conversation because he already knows about the galaxy. Uh, does he? Do you have a conversation about the armband? He's always been the captain for ten years, but he's in the, he never to get used to you being the captain. Yeah, well, that's was the same. You know, when you go to any club, it's it's the same thing. You know, um, he's he was the captain for a long time. I've been captain for for a long time over the years. So, uh, yeah, but I think Stevie just wants to come and enjoy his football. You know, he's had a a great career with uh, with Liverpool, and he's uh, you know he's coming to to a great team. Uh, which he's going to enjoy and uh, for him it's more about just coming and joining his football Yeah Robbie there Ken trying not to give too much away about how much he knew about Stephen Gerrard's arrival <laughs> Quite a lot of <laughs> Quite a lot like, And by the way the MLS Cup was what the 7th of December so he was saying around then around the 7th of December you wouldn't believe the players that are coming here you would not believe the names of the players who are interested in going to LA Galaxy so and he said I told you there, so you know, so, so, <laughs> I like that. So I mean, uh, I don't know. With Stephen Jarrett, when did he say he he made the decision? Maybe he just put out some feelers. Ah, yeah, no, that is true enough, though. What, of course. You know, what about put, you know? Well, well you are going to put out feelers if you're Stephen Gerrard and you hear that MLS are interested. I mean, who would you pick up? The yeah, phone Robbie to? and yeah, I mean, and Bex. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the advice is interesting that, that he says Stephen Gerrard asked him about though. It wasn't so much the, the standard of football. All this. Stephen Gerrard knows what the standard of football is like in the MLS. He wanted to know yeah. from Robbie what school do I send my kids to? Yeah. Uh, what, what do I do? What sort, of, what sort of property is available there? I would say the property prices might be pretty steep, but Stephen Gerrard should be okay. There are a lot of nice places to live for rich people <laughs> in Los Angeles. Yeah. Rest assured of that. We have long experience of dealing with extremely rich people here in Los Angeles, <laughs> and uh, we, we will be able to house you to with the minimum of fun. He seems happy, Robbie, every time he speaks. He's yeah. never the most effusive public speaker, but he, he sends me over the last... It sounds like he's very happy with the decision oh, he made yeah. to go to LA. Oh, totally, really, yeah. really oh, nice. He's, he's totally I mean, I see how happy he is if, um, you know, this Poland game coming up, he doesn't get into the team for that. I mean, you know, he wasn't obviously in the team for the Scotland game. Captain Robbie Keane sitting on the bench, didn't he wasn't too happy. I mean, he did, it was obvious that he was angry about it after as he talked in the mix on, well, you know, it's not, it's not, not my game. Uh, what, what was it he said? I'm not, I'm not effing Niall Gwynn. Oh, yeah. Uh, he didn't, uh, he didn't sound too pleased. So maybe his sonny, his sunny disposition might be uh, rudely affected by uh, by that, but you know he's every chance. I think maybe the home games where O'Neill thinks um, he's likely to be more affected. He has indicated that he t- thinks if and possibly Wes Uden will be involved. 
yeah. This is for, it always gets thrown at, uh, at Martin O'Neill for the home games. We'll chat more about that, I'm sure, closely to the matches. But some news that came into us just too late to include in our first podcast today. Shane Jennings has announced he's going to retire at the end of the season. Murph, a friend of the show. We was in here last week. We'll forgive Shane for not giving us the exclusive last week. But when you talk to the Leinster players who were there for the long haul before winning a Heineken Cup, they'll often point to a couple of things that happened in the development of the of the culture there. One was the arrival of Michael Cheka as coach and the other was the return of Leo Cullen and Shane Jennings from Leicester. All three of them brought this hard edge and professional mentality with them, uh, which isn't a bad legacy to leave a club that you're one of the guys who came back and uh, helped to, to just have to sharpen the minds. Obviously, they already had all these guys in the team who, who were on that yep. page, but it's no harm having somebody who's gone over, a couple of lads have gone over to uh, play with England. If you remember, we interviewed Martin Curry years back and I was very struck. Curry was captain of Leicester at the time. And I hadn't realised how highly rated Jennings was over there until speaking to Curry on air. He, he told yeah. us that he felt that Jennings was just an unbelievable leader and that he'd, he'd help along with Leo to sort of revolutionise what was going on, what was going to happen at, at Leinster. Uh, we're going to have Jennings with us in the Sugar Club next Monday night along with Damien Varley, the Munster hooker, who's also had to announce his retirement this week. That's all part of the Irish Times Second Captain Sports Night with Rabo Direct, which will be available as a podcast. We're recording that in front of a live crowd next Monday. You're getting pumped again. What sort of... How do you... Uh, Prepare yourself for the live crowd element. Uh, rigorous calisthenics. <laughs> uh, are, you like, are you like the Matthew McConaughey character in uh, uh, Wolf of Wall Street? Those sort of vocal exercises. Well, apparently he does that. Mm. Apparently he, he actually... Um, yeah. I've, I saw him talking about this. He ad-libbed that entire scene. Well, he, he improvised rather the um, no, he, yeah. the punching himself in the chest. Yeah, thing. Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio said he said the What's two of them. That? He said the two of them were sitting there about to do a scene, and Matthew McConaughey starts doing this thing to his chest, uh, and DiCaprio says, "What? What? What are you doing there?" And he said, "Oh no, it's just this thing I do to warm. You know, it's a warm up thing. Just get my voice going." Just get kind of and uh, I've totally forgotten. Scorsese directed that. Yeah. yeah. Said, uh, "Wait a second, just keep doing that," and he kept doing it, and it ends up as one of the centre points of the movie. So, Ken, okay. if you can develop something along those That's lines, we could use it on there. Right there. There it is. So we look forward to that. That's going to be on Monday evening. Show one today is already out. Andy Lee is a world champion. He's defending his title in a couple of months and uh, took some time to pop into studio along with his belt and uh, along with... Um, well, no, just along with his belt. <laughs> I don't know what else I expected him to bring in. Uh, we had a great chat with Andy Lee about that, so have a listen to that if you get a chance. You can check out our website, secondcaptains.com, for any of these sort of details. And if you're not following us already on Twitter... Do it at Second Captains. Just lastly, uh, a reminder, if you happen to be on a flight with Ken Erdy here in the next couple of weeks, couple of do months... Do what you like. Do it, no. Chat away internally to him. That's the first yeah. thing you want to do. No, don't. <laughs> okay, forget about that part then. If you have a kid, though, feed that kid full of sugary drinks and just let them go. Place them directly behind Ken's seat. I don't mind. Ken will not even notice we'll, them. We'll not pay any if, if, if you have many kids, just leave them in the care of Ken. Ken's crash. <laughs> just remember that. Well, I won't look the... after them, but I won't bother them either. You know what I mean? That's what I'm <laughs> saying. Can't they Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Murph. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening to Chatties. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.